0: Do you agree with the 10 bad spies? We are not able. When it's got nothing to do with what you're able to do. Are you, or do you believe with Joshua, or agree with Joshua and Caleb? By all means, if God's giving, I'm receiving. This is your life in Christ. This is God's grace, this is God's mercy. So let's enter in.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill podcast. My name is Lizzie Neff and I'm the Bible School Registrar here at The Hill. In today's episode, we're gonna share a sermon with you that our host, Kelly Doherty, preached a few weeks ago at Bernie Bible Church. The message is entitled, If God is giving, then I'm receiving. In this sermon taken from Numbers chapter 13, we will be reminded that when God lays out His path before us, He also provides the means and enabling to walk His way, and He always does so through Christ. After the message, make sure to stick around for a few announcements. So now, here's Kelly.
0: Just so you know, Tylen and I just got back from Colorado where I was teaching for a week, And uh, I don't ever handle the altitude that great. And uh, then on Friday, uh, when we're sitting in the airport, I'm thumbing through my phone and looking at the calendar, it says, Preaching Bernie Bible Sunday. (laughs) Yeah, Charlie, I mean, uh, Thailand thought that was funny too. I really (laughs) appreciate that. So, didn't get to sleep in yesterday, and I'm telling you all of this because right now my body's got the shakes, and so if I end up just kind of staring for a while... You understand why? Just start praying at that moment and uh, we'll get through this. Okay, everybody's there by now. Let's go. Uh, We're going to start in chapter 13 of Numbers, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, everyone a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, at the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the sons of Israel. Verse 25. When they returned from spying out the land, at the end of the forty days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron, and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them To all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there Amalek is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quietened the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. uh, Chapter 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder." would it not be better for us to return to egypt so they said to one another let us appoint a leader from and return to egypt then moses and aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of israel joshua the son of nun and caleb the son of jephunah of those who had spied out the land tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of israel saying The land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning... Acknowledging that you alone are sovereign. There truly is no other like you. This being the case, you still desire a relationship with us who constantly turn our back on you. We thank you, Lord, for your patience. We thank you for your pursuit. And we thank you for your insistence that we live the life you created us for and thus saved us for. And so this morning, as we look at your word, we're asking, Lord, that those who listen, I who am speaking, will know your wisdom, that you be honored and glorified, that we live the life you have saved us for, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Dwight L. Moody once said, God doesn't expect the impossible impossible from us. He wants us to expect the impossible from him. Is that what we do? In verse 2, there's the familiar phrase found throughout scripture, I am. I've challenged our students and other torchbearer students from around the world with this exercise. Anytime you come across the phrase, I am or are, I will, In Scripture, and it's referring to God, I am, I will. Go ahead and highlight that. Circle it, highlight it, whatever you're comfortable doing with your Bible. And pretty soon you'll come to find out that there's really only one thing God's talking about in Scripture, and it is Himself. Had one student take me up on that, and a few years after she was a student, came back to visit. I asked her if she was still doing it. She said, Yes, I am. I asked, Can I see your Bible? She handed it to me. And I took it like this and just leafed through it like that. And her Bible looked like it had chickenpox <laughs> because she was highlighting all of the I ams and I will statements with a, a red marker. I am. Just looking at this phrase, and and you have to kind of be careful with this because uh, although we interpret I am many times that, that way, I am, if you do a study of it, and sometimes it means a little something different, but not every time, but always the same idea. And so yesterday, realizing that I need to have a sermon today, I started to look at this and thought, I wonder what the I am statement is here. And looking at the I, just I, it's translated in 1 Samuel 25-24 this way, on me alone. The context of that is when Abigail pleads with David with regards to the foolishness of her husband to please put the blame on me alone interesting story it's not her fault but she says put it on me alone no one else then the word am actually in the new american standard the word the phrase am going to give is really just one word Am going to give is one word in the Hebrew and can be translated this way. Put, set, make. Put, set, make. I put, I set, I make. It's been used in scripture to attribute to God that which only He can do. Leviticus 26 verse 44 reads like this. Then, now this is the same word, I shall give, then I shall give you rains in the season. So only that which God can do. Therefore, I am, with an expanded translation, would be something like this I alone put, set, and make. I am. I alone. Put, set, and make this land yours. This is what I am doing, God says. Not you. Not you for me. I am doing this alone. Now he's tried to make this clear to them before. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus 23, now remember, repetition equals emphasis. So I'm going to ask you a question at the end of this, okay? So pay attention, what is being repeated? Because that will be the emphasis of this message. Chapter 23 of Exodus, beginning in verse 20. What is being repeated? Behold, I am going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place Which I have prepared. Verse 22. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I said, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Parasites, Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will completely destroy them. Verse 25. But you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will remove the sickness from your midst. There shall be no one miscarrying or barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion all the people among whom you you come, and I will make... Your enemies turn their backs on you. I will send hornets ahead of you so that they will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites before you. I will not drive them out before you in a single year that the land may not be, over, be become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. I will fix your boundaries from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the river Euphrates, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you will drive them out before you. Watch the emphasis. What's that? I will. I will. This is the message that's preached to them before they enter into this land. I will, this is what I alone will be doing. I alone will put this, set this, make this your land. It is not what you will do. It is not what you will do for me. It is what I will do. Probably the most wonderful thing about our God, is that He does not change. You can count on Him being the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 and let's see how He stays the same. We know the words of Jesus in John chapter 15 and verse 5. Very familiar words to us. Where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides, he who remains in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. God does not change and how He accomplishes His will with His people. We see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 25, Paul says, Of this church I was made a minister, according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is, the mystery, which has been hidden from the past ages, And generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope, the certainty of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present. Every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. His glory, verse 27, from his initiative, verse 25, by his power, and enabling, verse 29. All through Christ and not any of Paul's doing. He clearly proclaims this. Again, back up to Romans chapter 8. Just a couple of books back. Romans chapter 8, and here I will start in verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So he's talking to believers, so we, brethren, from the beginning of the book, we know they're Christians because they're called saints. So I know the brethren here is addressing saints, Christians. And he tells the Christian that we are not under obligation to the flesh. Once had a student come to me at the beginning of one of our Bible school years. This was years ago. He said, Kelly, I have a couple of issues. This was in the first week of Bible school. And I said, okay, what are they? He says, well, first of all, if every time we go to the Bible and we try to find Jesus, I have a problem with that. I said, well, it's going to be a long year. He says, okay, well, my second one is this. Every time we go to Scripture, you're going to tell me that I can still sin as a Christian. I've got a problem with that. And I said, well, you're going to have an extremely long year. Just to tell you the end of that story, he went on to be a Bible teacher in a public school, and he invited me to come and, teach his students and tell them that Christ is our life. We're not reading the Bible if we're not seeing Jesus. And he's the only hope for the believer in his sin. Can we come to the same conclusion as, as this student did? Because in verse 13 it says this, For if you, believer, are living... According to the flesh. You must die. So we've got a problem. As believers, if we are living according to the flesh, we must die. And so right away we look at this and we think, I've got to die, I've got to die, I've got to die. Do you know that as a believer, it is not possible, you can't even die to yourself yourself. That's how pathetic we are. We cannot even die to ourself, ourself. Look how it finishes. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You need Jesus. I've told this story to the students before, so they'll have to forgive me for making them listen to it again. But Arlene, for years... With our students throughout the years, have, there's a couple of things. The girls that have been with her for discipleship are for counseling. There's a phrase that they've told me that she uses a lot You need Jesus. So people have gone to her, they sit there, they pour their heart out, and in a very loving way, she says, You need Jesus. And they'll look at her and say, But I'm a believer, I have Jesus. Well, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Colossians 2, six. If you in your flesh was not good enough before you came to Christ for salvation, can, then how can you in your flesh be good enough now that you have come to Christ by faith for your salvation? You need Jesus. Well, Arlene also would use this statement with Lauren and Madeline. One day... One morning while they were being homeschooled, Arlene and Lauren got into a knockdown, drag-out argument. I know that's hard for you to believe that either one of them could do that. But let me tell you, <laughs> Madeline was sitting at the table. She was always the peacekeeper. And she she kind of helped me understand just what was going on in this. For those of you who were in our house when we were full-time at his hill in the log cabin, you can picture where this is going on. It's at the front door, right there in the foyer, the hallway, and right there at the front door. And they're going at it with each other. Their voices are raising. They're letting each other have it with their opinion. And then finally, Arlene looks down at Lauren and says, Lauren, you need Jesus. And Lauren looked up to mom and said, Mommy, you need Jesus too. (laughs) And Arlene said, you're right. Let's go to Jesus together. Are we, by the Spirit, by His life, putting to death the deeds of the flesh? Or do you insist that there is still something good of you, something in you that you can learn from your study in Scripture that will enable you to do something for Jesus. Major Thomas once said this, the one who calls you is the one who does that to which he calls you. He himself is the dynamic Of all his demands. In other words, he places the demand on us. And what demand is that? Be holy, for I am holy. This is his demand on you. Be holy, for I am holy. How holy? As holy as he is. How's that going? But then we find throughout Scripture that after placing that demand on us, He goes and then lives that very demand in us through the life of His Son, Jesus Christ, by His Holy Spirit. I was visiting with an alumni not too long ago who was sharing with me how he came to experientially realize this truth. You see, we can change the terminology of what we think, but Christ is not a terminology, Christ is a person, I know for years my terminology changed after going to school at his hill. And I taught Bible studies. I remember teaching a youth group up in Canada and telling them that Christ has to live in you and through you. He has to live in you and through you. Even studying the book of Daniel, I was able to tell them Christ has to live in you and through you. The youth pastor came up to me and said, his wife came up to me and said, Kelly, that was so clear. And I stood there very proud of myself and said, why, thank you. But folks, listen, I look back on that, and though I was saying Christ has to live in you and through you, I have to tell you that I had no idea what I was saying. Because Jesus Christ is not terminology. Jesus Christ is a person. And this alumni told me that after attending his hill, he went home. And he had been hearing that this is the life that he was saved for. This is the life that is for me to live. And not soon after arriving at home, he and his father had a disagreement. And he said he showed disrespect to his father. Soon after that, he was alone in a room realizing what he had done. That this was not the life of Christ And he said, without understanding what had happened, he just started crying. And telling the Lord, I can't do this. I know what is right. I know what you have of me. And now I know I can't do this. I need you. I need you, Lord Jesus. And I can tell you now that he is one of the men in my life who impacts me greatly in Christ. And I would tell you who he is, but I haven't asked his permission, so I won't. Because God alone is doing this with the nation of Israel, because he alone is accomplishing this, Israel needs to stop looking to their own abilities to obtain this land. Back in our text, in verse 31 of Numbers 13, we find that this is the issue that they have to deal with. In verse 31, after going and spying out the land, they say this, But the men who had gone up with him said, Now, this is one of those moments in a sermon where you need to wake up. And then it's okay to go back to sleep after that, and I'll tell you if you need to wake up again. This is the problem. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able. We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. A little later they say we became like grasshoppers in their sight. What's the reason for this? Why do they believe that they are not able? Well, look at verse 29. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. We're not able because the Canaanite and the Hittites, all the ites are there. Turn back with me. Hold that place. Turn back with me to Exodus chapter 3. It's here that God speaks with Moses at the burning bush. And in this conversation he sends Moses back to do that which he had already tried to do in his own self with his position that he had as prince of Egypt, only to fail. A few years later, God tells him, now you're going to do what you thought you were going to do, but it's not going to be you that does what you thought you were going to do. It will be me, using you. And then he explains this to Moses, just what it is he's going to do. In verse 17 of Exodus 3 it says, So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now listen to this. We've already read it, but I'm just going to remind you of it. In Exodus chapter uh, 23... It says this, verse 23, For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I will destroy them. And so now we come back to Numbers chapter 13, and here in verse 29, this is their reason Amalek's living in the land and the, of the Nig. Negev, there we go. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea. God, it's just what God said it's going to be. This can't be what He has for us because it's what He said He had for us. How often do we do that? James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when, not if you encounter various trials. And then we have trials in our life and we go, God, what's going on? What have I done this wrong? I need to read more, pray more. Or, like Bob Hobson used to say, I need to pray harder. And then he'd say, What the heck does that mean? Pray harder. Sounds painful. We are not able. Now what part of that message was preached to them that we read from Exodus said anything about what they are supposed to do? Instead, verse after verse after verse after verse, God said, do you remember what it was? What did God say? I will. will. But we are not able. We like to proclaim Galatians 2.20, don't we? For I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. We love the terminology in that verse. But do we understand that the life of Christ is not terminology, the life of Christ is a person. One of the courses I used to teach when I was full-time at His Hill was the speaking methods class. They're about to do it now, or have you just done it? Just did it. No wonder you all look relaxed now. (laughs) I purposely would not tell the students during the first semester that that class was coming because I was scared that some of them would not return if they knew that they had to take a speaking methods class. And every year when I told them that, they told me that if you had told me, I would not have come back. One year, one of the students was uh, was an older student and he was adamant came to my office sat in front of me and was very adamant that he is not going to do this and i said well you have to do it he said you don't understand i cannot do this i cannot get up in front of people i cannot speak in front of people i just fall apart my mind cannot Work And it's just, it's an it will be a nightmare. I cannot do it. And I said, you know what? This is exactly what we talk about every day in class. And there's nothing more special about you than all the other students who are scared. So you're going to have to do it. And then he got so upset with me that it came pretty close to being physical. And finally, I just... Put my foot down and let him know that you are doing this if you want to stay here. So he did it. Let me tell you about this guy. He went on to be the director of one of our torchbearer centers. (laughs) Travels the world. preaching and teaching that Christ is his life and wants to be your life. We both spoke at a conference one time together, and I sat there and listened to him and thought, oh my goodness, how clear and how strong this is. I can't do this. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 reads like this, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses. I can't do this. With insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. A.W. Tozer once said, God is looking for those with whom he can do the impossible. What a pity. We plan only things we can do by ourselves. Because God alone is doing this the nation of Israel needs to stop looking to their own abilities to accomplish it. And because God alone is doing this the nation should know what he has to give them. In verse 30 of chapter 14 in Numbers I'm sorry in chapter 13 of Numbers. Caleb quietened the people before Moses and he said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. In chapter 14, in verses 6 to 8, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. The word give, he will give it to us. That's the same word that's translated am going to give in the beginning of chapter 13. He will give. He will put. He will make this land ours. Joshua and Caleb are simply saying this. If the Lord's giving, then I'm receiving. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. If the Lord is giving, then I'm receiving. In chapter 8, and beginning, I mean, this is one of those chapters, you know, where do you start and where do you stop? But let's, for time's sake, let's start in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, our distress, our persecution, our famine, our nakedness, our peril, our sword. Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through because of, on account of Him, Who loved us? For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor my marriage, nor my children, nor my parents, nor my job, nor my health. Will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I've told some of you this before, but those who haven't heard it may find it interesting. Do you know that Charlie McCall does not believe he has the gift of teaching? Aren't you thankful that what he thinks himself not capable of hasn't determined whether or not he would obey the Lord Sunday after Sunday after Sunday for 30 years? So we have seen as a congregation... Someone living out and telling us with how he lives, if the Lord is giving what I think is beyond me, then I'm preaching. So, how does this end? What's the outcome back in Numbers chapter 14? And in verse 20, God speaks and he says, So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. They're forgiven. They're never to go back and live in Egypt again. I will not allow that. I saved them from Egypt. That's not for them ever again. They are pardoned. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. This land is not a land that pictures heaven. So many of our songs will proclaim that. The land of Canaan is not a picture of heaven. That should be hard for us to accept because heaven will not be a place of war. It will not be a place of failure and it will not be a place that we can get kicked out of. But the book of Hebrews, which the students and I are going to look at next week, tells us very clearly that Canaan is a picture of the rest that the believer is to know in Christ right now. And so he says, though they are pardoned, they will not know my rest. Not in this life is what the book of Hebrews teaches. But look at verse 30. I'm sorry, uh, verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered and his descendants shall also take possession. In verse 30, surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. If God's giving, I'm receiving. Joshua and Caleb believed God was giving them the land. The nation did not, thought they had to acquire what God was giving. Therefore, Joshua and Caleb received what God gave, and the nation did not receive what God gave. Brothers and sisters, are you receiving what God has to give you in the life of Christ? Is salvation nothing more but being saved from Egypt and trying to do the best you can in the wilderness, never knowing what you were brought out of Egypt for? Because you can't get past yourself. Are you receiving what God gives in the life of Christ? Or just limping along with what you maybe can achieve with your limited abilities? Hudson Taylor once said this, God is not looking for men of great faith. He is looking for common men to trust His great faith faithfulness do you agree with the ten bad spies we are not able when it's got nothing to do with what you're able to do are you or do you believe with Joshua or agree with Joshua and Caleb by all means if God's giving I'm receiving This is your life in Christ. This is God's grace. This is God's mercy. So let's enter in. Fathers, mothers, children, husbands, wives, employers, employees, grandparents. Let's enter in by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life that you have saved us for, that it has got nothing to do with our own ability or accomplishments. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you have gone and lived the very demand through your Son, Jesus Christ, and now make that known by your Holy Spirit in us. Your very life in Christ. We ask for your wisdom, Lord Because it it just is not within us. We need you, Jesus, to say, Father, if you're giving, then I'm receiving. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the His Hill podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Kelly and that his words offered a new perspective and appreciation for the Word and for our God. Our students are officially off campus for spring break and will be returning to us March 19th. Please pray for their time away and that they would come back to us ready to close out the school year. Once again, you've been listening to the His Hill podcast featuring our host, Kelly Doherty. Thank you so much for tuning in with us this week. Remember to keep your eyes fixed on Christ alumni and don't forget he is for you. I'm Lizzie and we'll see you next week.